<laughs> but good. I loved the acrobatics in the air, too. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> Way to go. Well, let's pray real quick before we open up the word. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to come and worship you and to um, just really focus our minds and our hearts on your word and on your goodness and uh, your faithfulness, God. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning, speak through me and into our hearts. Um, Father, uh, we know that there's nothing we can do or say without your Holy Spirit that's going to have lasting impact. So we invite your Spirit to do uh, marvelous things this morning in your Son's name. Amen. Well, I think I probably speak for many of us in this room when I say that junior high was rough. I see some smiles. Junior high was rough. For me, junior high was really rough. Um, near the beginning of my middle school years, I began to be bullied by a couple of kids. You know, and I was already a fearful kid. And since bullies can seem to have a gift to be able to sniff out fear, I was an easy target. For the next couple of years, I was hypersensitive and, and hypervigilant about looking around corners wherever I went, uh, even if it was away from the house or whenever out in the neighborhood. I never knew when this threat of danger would appear. But one thing I knew, though, I knew that my home would be a place of refuge. The threat of danger seemed to really, in many ways, melt away in the safety of my home, especially when my parents were there. It was there that I received love and acceptance and for who I, just who I was. I didn't have to perform or anything like that. It was a great place, my home. It was there that I was given encouragement and that I was reminded that I was valued. When I was out and about and feeling anxious about what might happen to me, I always knew that I had this place of refuge waiting for me. Well, in a sense, just like I had a place of refuge, we Christians have a place of refuge from the opposition that we sometimes face from the society that does not share the same values that we do. It's found in Christian community. Now, the opposition that we're talking about here, because it's interesting, I've been thinking about this book of First Peter we've been going through, and he talks about suffering and all the things we deal with with our, uh, our faith and how being a Christian can be so hard. And, not, you know, that really is true. But I think in a, the, as followers of Jesus, we, we may never know the persecution, though, that they experienced back in the Old Testament to the readers, to original audience that Peter was writing to. I mean, these, pe these people were truly suffering for their faith. Um, they're, in their New Testament times, many Christians, um, they were facing, they were living, and, living, and actually, people that are living in different areas, certain areas of the world today, are facing um, situations where it could cost you family. Family. It could cost you your career, and it could even cost you your life. Back in the New Testament days, it was a lot more heightened, but that still happens today. It really does. It has been I've been talking about we when we decide to fully live out our lives as followers and disciples of Jesus, we will most likely encounter opposition of some sort. It might not be the threat of death or losing our careers. But we will face some sort of opposition because of our values and the way that we live our life and how it's noticeably different than the culture around us. 
Now, when I mean Christian community, as one, I think this one author puts it really well. He says, Christian community is simply sharing a common life in Christ. It moves us beyond the self-interest isolation of private lives and beyond the superficial social contacts that pass for Christian fellowship. The biblical idea of community challenges us instead to commit ourselves to life together as people of God. See, being involved in a community like this and this kind of Christian community this guy's talking about here is essential for us for being able to stay encouraged, especially when we encounter opposition for living out our faith in Christ. Now, that, I don't know how that might look for you. It might look for ways that you decide to act at work, how you live your life in front of other people, the things that you're not willing to get involved in, or be even just even sharing your faith and the persecution that you might deal with that comes with that. But being involved in the kind of community we're talking about here is really essential for staying encouraged when we face these difficult times that can come because of our faith. The writer of Hebrews really affirms this kind of thinking when he wrote this. He said, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. See, guys, the reality is that we all, all of us play a vital part in keeping each other encouraged in our faith by making sure that our Christian community remains a vital and strong place of refuge. That's so important. This morning, as we continue in our study in the book of 1 Peter, we're going to look at what Peter has to say about the importance of being a part of a Christian community, and we're going to see what part each of us plays in maintaining the strength and the vitality of that community. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 4, I mean chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. Let's first we're going to first just look at the first phrase of verse 7. It says, "The end of all things as is at hand." Now what think about it. What pops to your mind when you hear someone say, "The end of all things is at hand. The ends are then times coming." You know, you might think of that guy, you know, that standing on a corner, you know, with the bullhorn and the sign, "The end is near. Repent. The end is near." Or maybe you think of those guys, I was trying to remember when, but I, I, the last one was these guys that predict the end of the, you know, they predict the end of the world, it's going to come, and it's, it was, how many times is that supposed to have happened already? You know, that's what I think when I think of someone says, repent, the end is near, and we're like, what are these, is this, is this kind of some crazy thing? No, it's not. That's not what Peter's trying to say here. In saying that the end of all things is at hand, Peter is speaking actually about a period of time. That is act that actually began when Jesus came, and, it, and it's going to culminate when he returns, okay? So it's this time that he's talking about, okay? He's saying that we are living in a time when the end is near, so that we should be living with a sense of urgency as we wait for Jesus to return. Anytime we know something's imminent and something's going to come or we're not sure when it could happen, usually we're pretty alert, aren't we? We know, hey, this could happen at any time. 
Problem is, as time goes by, we get lulled to sleep, don't we? Now, it's, it's, it's been 2,000 years. This time has been 2,000 years. So it's easy for us to get lulled to sleep. Do you, do you realize that back in the day when Peter fo- first wrote this, the people in the, that, that they believed that Jesus was gonna come back during their life. So can you imagine the sense of urgency that the first church felt back in that day? They heard these words and they thought, oh my goodness, we need to live with a sense of urgency because this is gonna happen before I die. Now that didn't happen. And that doesn't mean it's not going to happen still. It is going to happen. What that means is we are in that time, though. We are in that time where it's going to happen, and it could happen any time. 2,000 years have gone since this period started, and Jesus hasn't returned. But the message is the same today as it was then. Peter is saying that knowing that Jesus could return at any time should have a tremendous impact on the way that we live our lives every single day. He's helping me out. <laughs> what you say? The question is, are we going to live for ourselves? Are we gonna live every day for ourselves? Or are we gonna live with a sense of urgency that we as Christians, that we as followers of Jesus are on mission for God in such a way that we are gonna shine his goodness and his glory around so that other people will come to know him. That's what he's saying. He's saying, be urgent about it. Don't, don't just lay back and think, oh, another day, whatever. No, this could happen anytime. Live with this urgency. Live your lives out like that so other people see that. This has been Peter's message throughout this whole letter that we've been looking at. As followers of Jesus, when we decide to live with a sense of urgency, we are likely going to face some opposition for living our faith out in a society that does not share the same values that we do. It is most likely going to happen. And remember, Peter's been telling us that we are to respond to this opposition in such a way that when people do oppose us or that we come in contact with people that are opposing us a bit like that, they will see how graceful we respond. They will see the love and the goodness and the grace, and they'll turn, and they will be drawn. They'll want to go, what? What? Even though you might not say it right now, chances are if you say get in a conversation with somebody else, I don't believe that, that's a bunch of junk, and, you, and you're nice to them, they say, oh, okay, and you, you don't react, they're not going to go, okay, tell me more. You don't know, but you have no idea what the Holy Spirit's doing in people's lives. We have no idea. So that's why Peter says, when you face opposition, this is how you need to respond. You need to respond with grace. And mercy. we talked about all that stuff, because the end is near. We don't know. It could be another 2,000 years. I don't know. It could be tonight. We just don't know. So he's saying live with this sense of urgency. This idea really harkens back to what we looked at near the beginning when we started this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, if we choose, the reality is if we choose to live wholeheartedly for Jesus, 
with this sense of urgency, we are going to need a strong community of fellow believers that's going to function like a place of refuge for us, that we can rely on for strength, for accountability, and for encouragement. I don't know how many of you have had to experience that before, but you're going to need it. There's going to come a time when you're, all of us are going to need that kind of community. So what Peter does from here on out in this passage is he's going to give us four action steps that we are to take that are essential in order for the Christian community to be a place of refuge from the opposition that we face and to help us to continue to live in that victory of Christ that we have and through Christ. And what Peter wants us to see is really that we all, and I really want you to hear this this morning, please hear this, we all play a vital part in helping to maintain this vibrant and healthy Christian community. It's not for the paid guy or gal. It's not just for those that have been around church for a long time. It's not those that just have these charismatic gifts and talents. It's for every single believer to be a part of this, what he's gonna talk about right now, okay? So the first thing Peter tells us is found in the second part of this verse. In verse seven, he says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayer. So Peter tells us here first that we are to be clear-minded so you or we can pray. To be self-controlled or sober-minded, what it literally means, it means to have a clear mind, to be clear-minded. In order, it's a mind that is really, in the sense he's saying, it's, a, it's free from the influence of intoxicants. That's what it really means. It's not an intoxicated mind. This fits well with what we looked at last week, what Nelson talked about, in terms of no longer living for the desires of the flesh. Peter says that when we do this, our prayers are going to be greatly impacted. You see, when we're living counter to the life that we are called to in Christ, even slightly, even the little bit, our minds are taken off the things of God. His, his, like his goodness and his grace. And our minds easily can go to, at least mine can, go to things like guilt and shame, doubt and fear. Things that are so easy to grip us. That's an intoxicated mind. That's what he's talking about here. So this is why so often our prayer life, actually, people throughout my ministry career, people say, I just can't pray. My prayer life's terrible. Uh, And we think we've all gone through that. But really, this is one of the main reasons that our prayer life gets stale. It gets really stale because we have this stuff going on in our, all this stuff going on in our mind. It's like this being influenced or intoxicated by the things, by the lifestyle that we're living or by the things that we're watching or the things that we're doing. I'm not, saying, I'm not talking about getting all legalistic, go home, burn all your music, go, you know, all that. I'm not saying that. But what he's saying here, stay clear-minded if you want to have this prayer life that is strong. What he's, what he's saying here really is, get your head in the game. We've all, we've all heard that phrase before. Get your head in the game. And it's really like that with prayer. When we are intoxicated, With anything other than God, even slightly, our mindset is impaired and it will definitely impact our prayers. 
I mean, let's be honest here. A robust, healthy prayer life takes discipline, doesn't it? Oh my goodness, it takes discipline. But you add to that the feeling of guilt, shame, doubt, and fear that's got a grip on us sometimes, and prayer becomes really just this arduous task that usually we just say, forget it. That's why he's saying, stay clear-minded. So how do we keep our minds clear? How do we do that? Well, thankfully, God's word speaks right to this, ish, this issue of Cleve. It's not a matter of willpower. Willpower never works in anything, by the way. If you want to do anything just by willpower, go for it. Come talk to me later. <laughs> it's hard. Willpower doesn't always do it. That's what beauty of being a follower of Christ. So often we're given this, we are given the strength to do these things that God asks us to do. And we see this in, the, in some of these verses. In Colossians chapter three, verses one through three says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excel, anything excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I know that many of you have heard this verse a ton of times. I've heard this verse since I was 12, and I still struggle with doing this. So let me help you out a little bit. We don't have time to dig into this this morning, but here's what I would like to ch- a challenge for all of us. Take this Philippians verse. You don't have to do this, but somehow, in order to help with taking these things and having this mindset, take this verse in Philippians, write out everything. By the way, those of you that are going into the Bible study, anything like this, you'll be doing this in your, in your work. What you're gonna do is think of, think of everything that you can't, wait, let me say this right. Write out everything that you can think of that each of these adjectives describes, okay? Everything you think of, everything you can think of that is pure, everything you can think of that is lovely, all this stuff, write out all the things that you can think of and then post that somewhere. Put that somewhere where you can see it on a regular basis because I don't know about you, but our minds just go places they shouldn't go. It's so easy for us to get off track. That's why these reminders are so important. What is lovely and pure, have that and just seeing that constantly. A clear mind is a mind that can clearly discern God's truth from the the lies of the enemy. And those are coming in fast and furious, aren't they? They come at us constantly. So we need to be proactive, having the truth constantly coming at us. When our minds are clear and alert, our prayer life will be such that we are able to maintain a healthy relationship, which in turn leads to a healthy relationship with one another. When our prayer lives are healthy, we are in tune with God more. That means we're gonna be in tune with each other more because we all have that same mind. We're all gonna be, always gonna be struggling in the area of prayer, always. But as with the more we work to keep our minds pure and let the word, get God's word, let the truth get in there like crazy, I can guarantee you our Christian community will even become stronger. You'll feel it. You won't just be going, my, why, why do we love each other? One of the aspects is gonna be because there's more a healthy prayer life happening because people are letting their minds being not intoxicated. 
When our minds are clear and alert, our prayer life will change dramatically. Now, in verse 8, Peter goes on to the second action step that is essential in order for us, the Christian community, to be a refuge and a place of support. He says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So the second action step here that we're to take is to keep loving other, one another earnestly. Now, I know when we think of love, a lot of times we think of primarily the emotion or the, the feeling of love. Oh, I love you, I love that. My wife, I love my cat. You know, things, things like that. But that's not what he's saying here. What Peter is talking about here is about a decision, it's an actual decision of our will that leads us to take specific actions. To keep loving earnestly, or as some translations that you might have there, fervently or to love deeply, literally means, I love this, it literally means to stretch, okay? It means to stretch or to strain this kind of love. We need to be willing to, what he's saying is we need to be willing to love one another in a way that literally strains or stretches our capacity for love. I'm a picture kind of guy, and right away when I thought of this, I thought, Stretch Armstrong. I don't know if you remember, how many of you guys remember, how many remember Stretch Armstrong? Okay, Stretch Armstrong, there was that guy, he was that little guy, he looked kind of like the, um, Hulk Hogan back before Hulk Hogan was the, probably even alive. And what it was is this guy, and he just stood there like this, and you could grab his arms, and, you would, and you'd get all these friends, and you would just like pull his arms and stretch. I don't know how, why we played with that for so long. We didn't have video games, that's why. And so you know, we would stretch and stretch Armstrong. And for me, that's, that's this picture here. It's stretching, stretching our love beyond what's really easy. Stretching, it's telling us that we're willing to stretch past our comfort zone. Because it's easy to love the people that we get along with, isn't it? It's easy to love people that we see eye to eye with. That's, not, that's no problem. But what Peter's saying is we want a healthy community. We need to be willing to stretch past our comfort zone and love those fellow believers that might be a little more difficult for us to love. Can you imagine that? a place where everybody can come, as annoying as they might be, or I might be, we love each other because we're stretching to make sure that we go past our capacity and what's easy for us to do. And he says, here he says, he says that loving one another this way is to be above all. You notice that he says to be above all. It's to be the most important thing. Out of all these things you do, it is to be the most important thing. What Peter's probably doing is alluding to what Jesus even said when he said what the greatest commandments of all were. Remember the greatest commandment? To love God and to love your neighbor. And Peter goes on to say something very, very powerful. He says that this kind of love, this stretching love, going past our capacity, what it does is actually <laughs> crazy saying, what? <laughs> awesome. Scott, I can always count on you, my man. <laughs> always count on you. Now take that down or no one's going to listen to anything I have to say anymore. There you Gosh. That's awesome. I love that guy, but I'm going to get back at him. Uh, <laughs> So he's, what he says is about, okay, now that you've got Stretch Armstrong in your head, that kind of love covers a multitude of sins. 
That, only that kind, the stretching kind, it covers a multitude of sins. Peter is alluding to also what he, Proverbs chapter 10, verses 12, where he says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. What he's saying is that we are to love one another in such a way that does not let wrongs that are done to us or even things that are annoying fester, okay? We're not gonna let them just stay there. We're not gonna have, like, I know we're all good. I know I'm really good at those conversations. You know those conversations? He just did it. It's, we go there. And he's saying what love does is love works on loving those people. It's difficult that it is with the power of Christ to love them beyond what's comfortable, what is stretching. Gosh, you're gonna, I'm gonna have that picture in my head forever now, thank um, what he's saying here is that we love each other in an incredible way. It's like what Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 13, 5, kind of the love chapter. He said about what he said about love. He says, it keeps no record of wrong. Wow, that's hard. I struggle with that. It keeps no record of wrong. Wow, that's an that, that just sounds impossible. That's what he's asking us to do, though, in the power of Christ, to not keep a record. Well, I remember what she did. I remember, and I will never forget. This is what's essential in having the kind of community where people are willing to, to work hard at this. And this is hard work. It's not easy. That's why we need each other. It's deciding that we are going to love one another despite our differences, despite our idiosyncrasies, and even the wrongs that are done to us and our political views, all those things, we're gonna decide. I'm not gonna wait till I feel like loving you. I'm going to decide to love you. That really goes counterculture, doesn't it? You're supposed to love just what you wanna love and love what's, what's lovable. That's not what he's saying here. It's like what the Apostle Paul was saying. He's saying that loving keeps no record. And I love that because it's so, it goes so counter to our flesh. And what that, those are one of the things that's going to keep us on our knees. Because whenever we're trying to do something that's impossible, we're forced to our knees. This is so much easier said than done, though. The reason Peter says this is the most important thing, though, is because of what loving this way actually accomplishes. I love this. He says, it actually nips, it nips sin in the bud and keeps it from growing. It stops it right away. It keeps it from growing and negatively impacting Christian community, the community, kind of community that we so all desperately needs. It goes right at it. Commentator Wayne Gruden, this guy has a lot of good things to say about 1 Peter. In this, in this area, he says, when love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, small offenses, even larger ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. When love is lacking, every act is viewed with suspicion. Isn't that so true? So now in verse nine, Peter goes on to the third action step that is essential in order for the Christian community to be a refuge and a place of support and encouragement. Verse nine, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So the third action, we show hospitality to one another and we do it without grumbling. Hospitality, being hospitable means to show warmth and generosity to guests. 
It's this willingness to serve and minister to others even in the absence of warm feelings or even when the relationship might even be strained. It's a willingness to do that. Hospitality is a powerful thing. It's a powerful way to show love and care for one another and help us to create this loving and caring sense of community. Now, how might this look? I mean, I think we all got some pictures of what hospitality looks like, but really it's quite simple. What he's talking about here is one of the best practices is inviting someone into your home. It's probably one of the best ways to do that. It's inviting someone into your home, or at the very least, inviting someone out for a meal or even coffee. Don't you just love it when someone takes the initiative to invite you out to invite you to their home, to invite you out for a meal, to invite you to a cup of coffee. It tells us something powerful. Writer and pastor Max Lucado says this. He said, hospitality opens the door to uncommon community. It's no accident that hospitality and hospital come from the same Latin word, for they both lead to the same result, healing. When you open your door to someone or invite them to a meal, those are my words, or you're sending this message, you matter to me and to God. You may be thinking, you may be, you may be thinking or saying, come over for a visit, or let's go grab lunch. But what your guests hear is, I'm worth the effort. So true. Now notice, we're to do this without grumbling. Without grumbling. That means that even when it's unexpected, or maybe you have other plans, or you're not in the mood, or the house isn't as picked up as you would like it to be. You see, and that's without grumbling. When we lived um, in Europe, we lived in Germany for four and a half years, we were missionaries there, and uh, we worked in a boarding school, and we, um, we had four of our own sons, and we had 27 other boys in our, in our dorm. That's why I look old. And, um, <laughs> We, um, uh, we, would, we would get one weekend a month off. And this one weekend, we decided that we heard that there's a, a family a couple hours away that lived in this beautiful village on a lake. And they, were, and they loved to serve missionaries and have missionaries come. They had a little guest room come and were very private. So we all drove up there. We got there in the evening, and we realized that um, all the stores were closed. We had no food, and we hadn't, we hadn't eaten dinner. Um, and so right away, this couple, no problem, but had four or five kids of their own just invited us, hey, no problem. We got some extra soup and some bread. And, and, and you know, it was one of those things that you, you could tell this was not only not an imposition to them, but really they loved doing it. And for my wife, whose hospitality is really her, it just, I mean, it spoke to her. I, asked, I even asked her, God, I can't think of a good example of hospitality when I was preparing this. She goes, oh, and this was what? Uh, 15, 17 years ago, and still stuck in her that these people made a small gesture like, oh, come on, oh, come on up, and the house wasn't picked up, there were kids running, I mean, think about it, there was like nine kids in that place just running all around, and it was no big deal, and they just cared for us and in a simple, simple way. That was power. We felt the power of community as drained people that we were at the time. We needed to be, have a sense of encouragement, and boom, that 
was very, very encouraging. You guys, don't assume that someone isn't in need of experiencing true hospitality. The truth is we never know how much someone really needs it. And we never know how deeply it will impact them. I think we just assume, oh, everybody's busy. Everybody's got other plans. Oh, they might not want to. We need to stop doing that. Because hospitality is such a powerful thing. It's an actual gift. We're going to talk about that in a, in a few minutes here. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, let's, go, let's go on to verse 10 and 11. So in verse 10 and 11, so that's, that's hospitality. Um, it's a powerful thing. In verse 10 and 11, Peter gives us the fourth one, the fourth action step that is essential in order for the Christian community to be a refuge and a place of support and encouragement. Okay, he, sa- he says this. As, we're gonna, let's just look at the first verse first, uh, verse 10. As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. So the fourth thing is, in these verses, Paul, Peter tells us that we are to use our gifts to serve one another. Use our gifts to serve one another. See, as followers of Jesus, and most of you know us, as followers of Jesus, we are all given at least one spiritual gift. We are all given one gift by the Holy Spirit. In a nutshell, and I wrote it down for you up here, it says, in a nutshell, spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit are special abilities provided by the Holy Spirit to Christians for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. That is what a gift of the Spirit is. It's not so that I can be better and get acclaim at whatever I do. That's not what it's for. We tend to, our flesh will want that, but that's, that's the definition of a gift that every single one of you have, at least one of those, that if you are a follower of Jesus. And this word for gift here actually is the same word for grace. It's the same root word. So essentially, spiritual gifts are various forms of God's grace that we are given in order to minister to others. This is a terrible example, but one thing that came to mind, it's almost like God's fairy dust, kind of. He says, here you go. Here's things I'm going to give you, and they're for the purpose of building up other believers. And it's just like his grace. Just like we experience his grace and forgiveness and goodness, this is another form of that grace. Romans chapter 12 Verses, uh, verse four says, for as the body is one, of one, we have many members. The members do, do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the same grace to us. Let us use them. First Corinthians chapter, two, uh, chapter 12 tells us that every follower was given a gift that is empowered by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of benefiting other people. What Peter is saying is that you and your gifts, the gifts that you've been given, play an essential part in maintaining the vitality of the Christian community. You are needed, every single one of us. I can't think of a better way to tell you the truth. I can think of a better way to have a better sense of purpose in life than using a gift or gifts that the God of the universe gave us in order to build up the community of believers. That's purpose. Here's your gift. 
Use it. I need you to use it. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? I've got to give you some resources here that you can write down. A um, couple of them are just where you can find the list of the spiritual gifts. These, these chapters in Romans and in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians, these where the spiritual gifts are listed. And also I've given you kind of... Um, a website you can go to. There's plenty of them out there, but this is one of them out there where those of you that do not know what your spiritual gift is, you can go on there, and that can help give you an idea of what your spiritual gift might be. And let me encourage you with this. Once you find out your spiritual gift, tell somebody. I'll put you to work. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's what a wonderful way to get a sense of, wow, this is what I was made for. This is why I'm here. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we're here, but to be able to come down and be able to say to this very thing, God gave me this gift. I'm going to hone that sucker. I'm going to do my best to figure out what it is, to use it, to be encouraged in it. It's a great thing. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, the first part of verse 11, Peter summarizes these gifts into two categories. He says they're speaking gifts and they're serving gifts. He says this, Whoever speaks as one who speaks or as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. What Peter's saying here is that we, when we exercise our gifts, those gifts that benefit others, we're not to do so in a way that we're giving our own opinion or operating out of our own human wisdom or strength but by the wisdom and the strength that God so readily supplies. If he has given you a gift, he is going to give you the strength and the power to be able to use it. He wouldn't just say, here, go, and go figure it out. But that's what the body, once again, community is for. Once you know your gift, you can start using that gift. You can start trying it out, get feedback from other people, and start honing that gift. Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect in it, one of my gifts is teaching. I fumble in teaching all the time. But I know that it's a gift that God has given me, so I need to use it. And I need to trust that he is going to give me the strength and the power. And as speaking an oracle from God, basically, I need to remember that I'm up here representing God and his word. That's why I take this job extremely seriously and preparing for sermons very seriously because he's saying, if you're going to do this, you're speaking for me, and I'm going to give you the strength and the ability to do this. You're still human. You're still going to make mistakes, but watch what I do through that. Watch what I do through that weak vessel. That's the beauty of a spiritual gift, and that's the danger when people start to use their spiritual gift, and they, then they stumble a little bit. Oh, that must not be my gift. I didn't do it perfect. You're human, and that's the beauty of God's grace. He gives a gift, he enables you to do it, but he makes you, allows us to be in a place where we constantly need to rely on him for that gift. I'm petrified when, before I get up here. Well, that's probably a little bit strong. But <laughs> I, because I know that, wow, this is a weighty thing, and we need to see that with any gift you have. Those of you that serve, those guys, you guys that are out there putting out those signs in the morning, Kurt, that is a weighty thing. 
That is a weighty thing. That's a huge thing. Gift of serving, gift of, of all these things that make this place, all those gifts that we have. It's a big deal. And God wants you to use it with his strength and his power. Don't sell yourself short. He wants to use you in a very, very powerful way. This gives us tremendous encouragement, such encouragement to be willing to step out of our comfort zones. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to step out of my comfort zone. It really is. Remember that fearful little boy I talked about earlier on that got bullied? That was just kind of part of my DNA, fear growing up. So stepping out of comfort zone. So if that's you, I get it. I know exactly where you're living. But God has gifted you. He has given you a gift to give you a sense of purpose, but to build up this community that you are a part of. You want the community of Christ to be stronger and better for you? Use your gift in it. Help. Get involved. With great encouragement because God provides the necessary wisdom and strength. And why do we do this? He ends it all right here. It's right at the end of of verse 11. He says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As followers of Jesus, giving glory and honor to him that he is due is to be the end goal of everything we do. Everything we do. Okay? Everything we say, everything we do. What Peter is saying to us in this passage that we've looked at is that because the end of all things is at hand, we are to live with a sense of urgency that not only shows the world where our hope comes from, but causes us to be proactively contributing to the ongoing vitality of our community, of our Christian community, so that it can truly be a refuge from the opposition that we are likely going to face from a society that does not share the same values that we do. The writer of Hebrews sums it up really well. I want to close with this. He says, this essence of his message, he says this. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me encourage you this morning to live with a sense of urgency by being clear-minded so that you can pray, loving one another earnestly and deeply, showing hospitality and using that gift or gifts that you have been given to serve others so that through God, through Jesus Christ, God gets amazing glory, all right? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you how it challenges us and how it causes us to examine our lives. And I pray, Father, that none of these words would be words that would cause guilt or shame for not being involved or not doing what we, what, what, maybe what I should be doing more. But it would just be an encouragement to us, God, that you are asking us to live a life that honors and glorifies you and you will give us the strength. I thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and your word.
and it's your son's name we pray. Amen.